Hello and welcome to the debut episode of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics New ACC podcast. I am Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer here for The Athletic, but I'm branching out. We're going to talk about the ACC on this podcast, and let me tell you, I love covering the ACC because it's interesting. Uh, we hear about the SEC all the time. Uh, the SEC is great. It's got all the national champions and stuff, but the, but the ACC is fascinating to me. It's this strange amalgam of schools up and down the East Coast. Uh, it's been pretty good in football. It's not the SEC, but it's won a couple national titles in the last decade. You've got Clemson and Florida State contributing there. You know, Lamar Jackson was a Heisman Trophy winner. Deshaun Watson probably could have been one. Uh, they're actually playing football this fall. Another reason for the ACC to go forward. But I think the thing I love about this conference is it's just weird. The weird stuff happens in this league all the time. I mean, you think back a couple years ago. This is a league that gave us a 0-0 regulation tie between Virginia Tech and Wake Forest. How can you not love that? The the everlasting picture and gif of Frank Beamer with his two arms up uh, celebrating a missed field goal at the end of regulation. This is the league that gave us the the Duke and Miami multiple lateral touchdown as his clock expired, one of the worst officiating monstrosities that's ever happened in a football game. Uh, this is the league that gives us the Coastal Division. Not this year. There's only one division this year, but it gives us the Coastal Division every year where every team can beat every other one, and its destiny is to have seven teams all finish four and four. Uh, hopefully someday we'll get back to that. And this is the league that, most importantly of all, and especially in my heart, it, it gave us page 145 of the Football Media Guide a couple years ago. Uh, and for those who don't know exactly what page 145 of the Media Guide is, go look it up. Uh, the initials FTS should mean something for, for people out there. But most of all, I, I just like talking about the ACC. It's an interesting league. Uh, you know, it's been Clemson and sort of the 13 dwarves for a while now. We'll see if that changes this year. But it's, it always seems interesting to me. And we've got a, a pretty good roster of ACC beat writers are going to help me out on this podcast over uh, the over the fall here. Uh, people like Matt Fortuna, Manny Navarro, Grace Rayner, Brendan Marks, offering their special insight in about the league and, and helping us just talk about ACC issues and what's the most interesting thing. There's plenty of storylines this year. I mean, you, you talk about Clemson's dominance. Yeah, are they going to win the league again for a sixth straight year? It's quite possible. But all of a sudden, you have Notre Dame in the league. You've got North Carolina with some momentum under Brack Brown. You've got Florida State, who may or may not figure things out this year under Mike Norvell. Virginia Tech and Pittsburgh, maybe a little bit of sleeper status there. Uh, Miami's interesting uh, with De'Ara King coming back. I, I think just once you get beyond that top tier of Clemson, it's a very interesting league uh, with some teams that could pop up there every now and then. And, I think talking about it will just be an interesting thing to do every week. Before we get to our first guest here, I'm going to ask you for a favor here. If you're listening to us free on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts, we'd like you to subscribe to the podcast, rate it, review us, give us some feedback on us. This really helps us get the word out about the podcast. And if you haven't joined The Athletic yet, here's a great opportunity for you. You can sign up for $1 a month using our special promo code that you can find on theathletic.com slash ACCpod. Without further ado, here's our first guest, Matt Fortuna.
We welcome to the pod Matt Fortuna, one of our national college football writers here at The Athletic and the co-host of The Shamrock, our Notre Dame podcast. Matt, thank you for stopping by in Atlantic and Coastal. Uh, how are you doing right now? I'm doing well. I'm healthy. I'm employed. It's sunny out, and uh, we are ever so close to uh, the kickoff of some version of the 2020 college football season, the ACC season, I should say. So uh, I'm excited. How about you, my friend? Uh, has there ever been an off season that needed to end more than this one? I've never been more eager for an off season to be over and just to be able to watch some football and cover some football, even like non-interesting games. I, I will take scraps of anything that they will show us right now. Miami UAB. I've never looked more forward to UAB football, e- even when they, they canceled it for a year and they came back, uh, seeing them play Miami. Uh, and the opener is just, uh, it, it does it for me. Now that ACC is here, I'm definitely excited. The big story uh, with the conference this year, I think, is can anyone stop Clemson? That's been the big story for, you know, the last five years, uh, you know, going for a sixth straight ACC championship. Uh, I'm curious, do you think that it's Clemson and the, the 14 dwarves this year? Or like it's been 13 dwarves the past couple of years. I mean, that seems what it's been like. Can, can anybody get up in that conversation or is Clemson just so far uh, above everybody else that it's going to cruise to another title? I think you have to give Notre Dame a chance. And it, it is perfectly fitting that Notre Dame is a part of the conference for this year. And they host Clemson. Uh, Notre Dame for all of their big games I think they've hosted just one top 10 opponent at Notre Dame Stadium in the Brian Kelly era, and that was Stanford in 2018 in week four or five. And that Stanford team ended up not being all that great, not top 10 worthy. So uh, fortunately, we won't get the kind of environment that uh, we we were hoping for on a normal year. But nonetheless, it'll be the biggest game in Notre Dame Stadium uh, probably since the Bush-Push game, USC in 2005. And when you look at the schedules, uh, I mean, there, there's obviously a lot of uncertainty uh, in the ACC, in the country, in the world. But you look at that November 7th date in South Bend and you think, yeah, um, both teams should be undefeated going into that. I mean, at least uh, predicting what we think we know about this conference and these teams. Uh, I'd say there's a better chance than not that both teams are unbeaten. And that sets up an absolute showdown. And, and I don't know if it cheapens it or heightens it. Um given that Notre Dame's in the ACC and that they could probably play Clemson again a month later in a rematch. Uh, to me, I mean, more good football games, the better. Uh, I, I think it makes it more exciting. Um, and, you know, it, it, we, we go back to the pre-playoff era, right, where it's uh, are you going to penalize one team for a loss? Who's playing best late if one team, Clemson wins the first game and Notre Dame wins the second game? You know, how's that bode for, for the playoff picture, especially in a year when they're only – three power conferences playing. Um, I just think there's so many possibilities here uh, that it's really, really exciting. I mean, Clemson has been so far and away better than everyone else in the ACC. They've won, I want to say, 24 straight games against ACC teams. Uh, 23, excuse me, including Notre Dame. Uh, pretty much since since Trevor Lawrence came on, he has not lost an ACC football game. So um, I, I still think, you know, for all the question marks about the receivers, uh, the offensive line and so forth, you've got the best player in the country under center. You've got probably the best running back in the country behind him. And you've got a defense that 
I wouldn't call it veteran, but I also wouldn't call it young. I think you saw a lot of young guys get their feet wet last year, and uh, we'll be better and we'll be deeper this year, I think, than they were last year. So when you compare them to the rest of the league, yes, I think it's Clemson and everybody else, but I don't think you could completely rule out a Notre Dame team that, uh, in keeping with the ACC theme, is 14-2 and in their last 16 games against ACC competition. So uh, I think you have a very nice challenger, if you will, to the throne that you haven't had really since Florida State had a rolling under Jimbo Fisher. You talk about possibly a rematch in the ACC title game, and not as that dimension at all. I, I say if it gets to an ACC championship game this year, we take whatever we can get. Like if they are playing football with minimal disruptions by December twelfth or nineteenth or whatever the, I think there are a couple dates they have in mind for the ACC championship. If they get that far, I do not care who's in that game. If it's uh, you know, Georgia Tech and NC State because everybody else had to forfeit a bunch of games. I'll still watch football at that point. Hey, we, we had I'll, seven I'll and seven it. pit in there two years ago. <laughs> I mean. I'll treat it as legit. Yes, yeah, so whoever we've been sending from the Coastal Division the last couple of years, it, it can't uh, cheapen the game of, of what it would be. Okay, we've talked enough about Notre Dame. ACC fans are, are like, all right, we get it. Notre Dame's <laughs> in the conference. Clemson, Notre Dame, I think almost everybody's picking those one, two. Uh, I'm curious who your number three is. I'll, I'll tell you my number three, and I'll probably be accused of something when I say it in a little bit, but I want to hear who your number three is and why. So yours is Virginia Tech of Virginia, just based on the way you described that. And I'm completely guessing here. And you're smiling. Yeah, you're, you're, you're <laughs> probably right on that. Okay. I, 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 uh, uh, mine is I've really debated between three and four here because I think there's a clear separation between the top four and everyone else, at least to my uh, – to my thinking, and this being the ACC and this having a, a division, seven coastal teams in it, if not a coastal division, chaos will happen this year one way or another. I had North Carolina three, Louisville four. Um, I know North Carolina is a very popular, trendy pick, and usually that goes haywire. Uh, we see it every year. North Carolina was that way under Larry Fedora. Uh, but when you look at the way they recruit, when you look at the progress they made in year one under Mac Brown, when you look at the fact that they had a freshman All-American, a quarterback who's only going to get better um, – I feel pretty good about that team. Hey, back to the podcast in just a minute. First, I want to introduce our new sponsor, Homefield. It's a premium college apparel brand out of Indianapolis that has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. Homefield has 90 plus schools and is adding them all the time. If you don't see yours on here, they're probably trying to get licensed for them right now. If you're an ACC fan, they already have Pitt, Virginia Tech, and Syracuse. I will say that the uh, the Fighting Gobbler uh, logo they have for Virginia Tech is pretty kick-ass. Come on, show some school spirit for your favorite teams or alma mater. Go to homefieldapparel.com and use the code ACC for 20% off your first purchase. That's homefieldapparel.com and use code ACC for 20% off your first purchase today. I went with Virginia Tech number three. And I will be accused of being a homer. I realize that. But there's something about this team that I feel like they're going to be pretty good this year. Uh, I mean, they were pretty close to winning 10 games last year. I mean, it's not like, oh, it was one possession game, went the other way. I mean, they gave up a last-minute touchdown pass against Notre Dame where they had fourth down twice to get off the field to win the game on that drive and just couldn't do it. They gave up a touchdown to Kentucky with like 15 seconds left in the bowl game against a quarterback who had you know, not really shown an ability to pass the ball all game. So I, I think they're kicking themselves over a couple of those. 
Uh, they got 17 starters back. They have their quarterback back. They have some graduate transfers that are coming in that are, you know, not like headline stealers, but, you know, it's people like Brock Hoffman on the offensive line, who I, I think will start to be very good. Uh, Justice Reed at defensive end fills a spot. You know, he's not Quincy Roche. He's not the, the, the guy that's coming from Temple that's a player of the year that uh, everybody goes, oh, that guy's going to be great. But I think he's going to fill a role on that defense. Uh, Changa Hodge, Devin Taylor, a wide receiver and a cornerback, or a couple of FCS guys that I think – uh, got a little bit of NFL draft buzz, uh, you know, before they transferred. And that's, you know, that's better than some of the spots that they had on this roster. Now, uh, I felt better about that pick before Caleb Farley opted out uh, that, you know, you lose a, a potential first round cornerback who was just a lockdown guy on the outside. I think that's a real problem. But, it, you know, we haven't heard a whole lot about Virginia Tech. And I'm wondering if that's by design from this coaching staff, because they just kind of want to keep things under wraps, but I, I do think that they feel like they're going to be uh, improved this year. And I, I guess it comes down to, I, I considered UNC for that spot too. I considered Louisville for that spot. Uh, I can make an argument for all of them. Uh, I just, I sort of lean towards Virginia Tech in this. I, I'm curious your thought on the Hokies as somebody who, who doesn't cover the team. What, what is the sort of outsider opinion of Virginia Tech? I agree with you. They definitely flew under the radar. Um, with just how close they were to winning the Coastal and having what would, by definition, be a really good season, right? Double-digit wins. Um, I think that's kind of the bar we, we, in the media and probably fans as well, judge most programs not named Clemson or Alabama. Um, I don't disagree with anything you said. The thing that gives me pause is because their opener is now delayed uh, two weeks, they'll be playing 10 straight weeks. Uh, again, based on what we know right now, they got to close at Clemson and they play Louisville, which is not the best draw in the world as far as being a coastal team, uh, having to play two Atlantic teams. I, I just Well, there I, is I, no coastal team this year. We scrapped <laughs> that whole thing. Forget about the title of this podcast. True, true, true. Which was yeah, chosen well, before we, we they scrapped the divisions. Boston the College. Way, but, yeah, wait. Yeah, right. You're right. Uh, but still, I, the way that schedule breaks gives me pause. Uh, I, I am with you though. They've been really under the radar. Like we, we've almost forgot about them. And uh, they had a, one of the better in-season turnarounds, I think, in recent ACC history. When you look at where they were after that Duke game in September last year, I mean, I had written a story not long after that, looking at the possibility. It was AC. Oh, encompassed the ACC story, but it looked at Virginia Tech and Florida State because those were two teams really struggling at that point. It was. Are either of these coaches in trouble? And right. at, that, at that point, I mean, Virginia Tech looked like they were in worse shape than Florida State. And, you know, two or three weeks later, Willie Tiger gets fired and Virginia Tech goes on a run and, and almost wins the division. So it shows you how much we all know. But um, I, I do think they are flying under the radar. Absolutely. And when you look at the ACC, when you look at uh, the separation between probably one and two and then two and probably everyone else, I mean, Virginia Tech has every right to think they should be right up there uh, in that number three discussion with everyone else. And I don't fault any of the logic um, that you just shed here, especially with your knowledge of the team. But I, I, I have a little more faith in North Carolina um, just based on what they're able to do despite having a first-year coaching staff last year. And by that same token, uh, Louisville as well. I mean, that was a program. I embedded with them for week one against Notre Dame last year. And uh, I remember going around people in that building uh, the day before the game, and you know they asked for my prediction, and I, I said something to the effect of 38-10 Notre Dame, and they're like, you think it'll be that close, really? <laughs> I mean, that's how 
down people in that program were on what they had left. They lost 22 players with eligibility uh, between the Bobby Petrino era and the Scott Satterfield era. And they played their tails off against Notre Dame. They had a couple really uh, untimely turnovers by a quarterback who ended up not starting a whole lot of games for them the rest of the year. Uh, and they, they brought that game into the fourth quarter, and you thought, well, opening night, Labor Day, national TV, sold-out crowd, new coach. They got up for it. You know, They'll come back down to earth. They'll win maybe four games the rest of the year. And no, um, even with a thin offensive line, um, they were balls to the wall all year long. They won eight games. Uh, they found the right guy at quarterback who's back this year, Mikhail Cunningham. Dwayne Ledford, their OC slash old line coach, I think is one of the best offensive line coaches in the country and proved it last year, especially when you see the way he was able to develop Mikhail Becton into a guy who was really out of shape and who's now a first-round pick for the New York Jets. So I just really, really like the coaching staff there. I like the team speed, and I have to think the offensive line with another year under their belts um, is just going to hold up better and is going to be ready to, I think, take off and make some noise in the ACC this year. They almost did it last year against all odds, uh, but that's how highly I think of this coaching staff. Yeah, I feel like Louisville really stole one when they got Scott Satterfield. Uh, I think Which when it didn't seem him, like it at the time. I mean, it was Jeff well, Brom or Bust, right? Yeah, it, it's weird how that works out. Like when North Carolina hired Mac Brown, I was initially like, what? No, me, no, now, me too. This retread code. Uh, completely wrong, by the way. Completely me, oh, wrong. Completely. I will, me too. I will completely eat that one. That was a, a, a boneheaded take on my part. But part of it was I'm like, you have Scott Satterfield right down the road here. Right, like This right. seems like an easy hire to make, and they didn't do it. Uh, and, and it was to Louisville's benefit. Uh, I, I think with UNC and Louisville, uh, the, and I had them, I think, f- four or five in mind, and they were right there. I mean, they were three, four, five, and they were you know, picking out of a, a, a name out of a hat. I think with those two, the offenses are so good and such a known commodity that it, it can be very easy to pick those teams and go, yes, I can see how this can happen with this team. Virginia Tech a little bit less so because – uh, I don't think either side of the ball is necessarily better than the other. Uh, I do have questions about UNC's defense and Louisville's defense, but you know it comes down to can you outscore everybody? And I think they can. I mean, with the, with the the type of offensive weapons they have. I mean, uh, you know, two of the best quarterbacks in the league there, and and a bunch of guys that surround them that are capable of, of uh, putting up a lot of points. So I, I think those teams will be. It, it'll be a fascinating uh, experiment to see if they can just offensively be that much better than than the teams they go up against. I want to ask you about the Florida teams. Uh, you know, obviously not up to their historical standard the last couple of years. Uh, you know, Florida State has a new coach, Mike Norvell. I, I'm I'm curious uh, with Florida State if Norvell coming in and replacing Taggart will have the kind of same same kind of impact as Satterfield coming in and replacing Petrino. If if just having somebody that can have a singular focus and get the team going in the right direction, you know, regardless of the talent on the roster, if that will just dramatically improve things. And then you have Miami with, uh, you know, brand new quarterback, brand new offensive staff overhauling that side of the ball. Uh, do you think either of these teams could, could be competitive this year and you kind of get into the mix? It's funny. I feel like Miami's getting a lot of preseason love. Um, they finished number five in our preseason, uh, poll that the athletic uh, staff put together for the ACC. Uh, I think there are reasonably high hopes for De'Ara King, uh, seeing what he's been able to do at the college level already and at the high group of five level, I should say, in Houston. Um, but you look at the way that that program finished last year. 
in some ways the bar is very low, at least offensively. Um, now the talent on that roster is usually better than everyone else in the Coastals and pretty good starting point if you're going to predict games. But again, there is no Coastal this year. And I don't know. I think the jury's still out on them. I think that week two game, we were just talking about Scott Satterfield, Louisville. That week two game, uh, September 19th, Louisville at Miami. That's going to be a very telling game, I think, uh, as far as which direction. I don't want to say both programs because I'm higher right now in Louisville than I am on Miami. But if Miami can win that game, I think that bodes very, very well for them, uh, especially in a year where... Uh, they don't play Notre Dame. Uh, they do play Clemson, but um, their their draws it's it's. I mean, it's not easy. Uh, they play Florida State right after that, and that's always a fifty fifty game, no matter how good or bad either team is a given year. But I, I just think that Louisville game is going to be a very very telling uh, marker, if you will, for for Miami, and they get it in week two and. You know, we'll see them play before we'll see anyone else play, right? They're playing a Thursday night against UAB, uh, which is a pretty good team as well. But the jury's still out there. I'm not ready to put all my eggs in the Hurricanes basket just yet. But Florida State won. I mean, James Blackman's on, what, I think his fourth offensive coordinator in four years there. I mean, yeah, he's a very, a very old redshirt junior. And this is a program that had didn't have a coaching search, I think, for 41 years between Bobby Bowden and Jimbo Fisher. And now... They're on their third head coach uh, since 2017. So would my, I think Mike Norvell was a rock star at Memphis. Uh, I get why they hired him. Um, his offenses, no matter who was playing quarterback, always seemed to light up the scoreboards. Heck, he seems to have his own coaching tree already. I mean, all of his guys are getting hired uh, elsewhere, whether it's Chip Long before at Notre Dame, Ryan Silverfield now uh, is succeeding him at Memphis. Uh, they know what they're doing there from a football standpoint. I feel really bad for any new coach this year because with the pandemic, you just did not get your hands on your team the way you need to. And it's a really hard thing to do under normal circumstances. And number two, uh, you mentioned Louisville as a as a example to kind of uphold. The difference between Bobby Petrino and anyone, let alone Scott Satterfield, <laughs> is so great. It's such a breath of fresh air for everyone in that building that I don't know if we can compare Willie Taggart to Mike Norvell at that just yet, especially when we've already seen Two near player revolts on social media in the offseason. Um, yeah, it hasn't been a good start. Between Marvin Wilson um, earlier this summer and Warren Thompson, the receiver, uh, during camp. And it sounds like both those were squashed. Both those were misunderstandings. But th- that just doesn't look good when you have uh, players taking to social media to complain about your coaching staff, especially when it's a new coaching staff. And they at least publicly haven't had a whole lot of answers for what went wrong there. So... I don't know. I mean, there, there's talent on that staff. They've recruited, you know, really, really well by ACC standards. Uh, it's talent on the roster, I should say. I'm sorry. Um, I don't know. The, Florida State's the biggest wild card this year, the same way they were the biggest wild card last year. I mean, um, you thought there's no way they'd be as bad in 2019 as they were in 2018, and they come out in that first half against Boise State in the opener, and it's, wow, this looks like a new team. And then they lose the game. <laughs> um, that so, might have been the high point of the Willie Taggart era. Exactly. That exactly. First half. Exactly. Uh, they did beat Louisville last year. But, yeah, I mean, there's – I don't know what to make of Florida State right now. Um, it always seems like there's just something going on there off the field. Uh, and usually not a good thing. So maybe they get on the field and they play football and they win games and that all goes away. Uh, but I think that's a really big leap to make with a new coaching staff. Well, we're always seduced by the talent. Right. I mean, that happens with Miami and Florida State every year when Miami lost uh, the the bowl game, the Independence Bowl to uh, Louisiana Tech got shut out. I actually tweeted. I I said, 
dear Andy Bitterviti, no matter what happens this offseason, under no circumstances do you pick Miami to win the Coastal Division? Because we do it every single year. We look at that roster. You know, they've recruited so well. There's so much talent here. And, uh, you know, God bless my Twitter followers. A lot of them, like, scheduled a tweet to send that back to me at the start of July. So it came back to me. I'm like, that's right. And, and this is after an offseason where, you know, Derek King comes in. Quincy Roche comes in. They bring in Rhett Lashley as the offensive coordinator. And you go, you start talking yourself into Miami again. Uh, there's just a lot of moving parts that I, I would like, you know, I think Derek King is fantastic as a quarterback and he can make up for a lot of, uh, you know, issues that you have on offense there. I just, uh, it's tough this year. If there's a lot of new pieces like that, you try to get them all to mesh together. Uh, you know, that goes for both Miami and Florida state. Um, I, I just have my questions about that. I, I do want to get your opinion, uh, on one other team here, Pitt. Because I don't. I, want I was going to bring them up if you didn't. I, uh, yeah, I don't want Pat Narduzzi to come yelling at me <laughs> or anything like that. I've seen what he does to the officials on the sidelines. Uh, David Hale at ESPN had Pitt second. He had set him the second in the ACC. Uh, I respect David Hale's opinion on everything ACC. Uh, at the same time, I saw Pitt last year, and you know what? Admittedly, was probably its worst game. They lost twenty-eight nothing to Virginia Tech. It was lousy weather. They could not move the ball at all. Kenny Pickett was like 10 of 30 or something like that. Uh, that game got away from them early. There was a, a fumble return for a touchdown. So maybe I am looking at Pitt through a, a different lens here, and I just saw them on a bad day, and that sort of colored my perception of them. What am I missing about Pitt? I know the defense is fantastic. I just, you know, people tell me to, to buy Kenny Pickett. I just, I just can't at this point. What am I missing with Pitt? I don't think Pickett is the reason you should pick this team to do really good this year. And I don't say that to disregard him, but uh, he's had his ups and downs, but he's also going into his fourth year for the third year as a full-time starter, fourth year starting games, which is a rarity at the power five level. So uh, the familiarity, like you said, especially when it comes to offenses, I think always uh, shows all of our biases in the media as far as how we go about predicting things. And I think that's playing part of it with Pitt. Uh, But that defense you know, we've been waiting for it to come along, right? Pat Narduzzi was such a defensive wizard at Michigan State. They won a couple of Big Ten titles on the backs of his defenses. And uh, his first four years in the Steel City, we didn't see any of that. Uh, he brought a new defense coordinator in 2018, Randy Bates, and they won the division, but they went 7-7. Seven and seven. It was almost like a technicality. Last year, I don't think they were a whole – I think they went 8-5, and five. But that was a top 10 defense, and they were missing some key pieces on the defensive line. And I know um, one of them has opted out, but I still Twyman. think that – Twyman, that's right. I still think that has a chance to be a top 10 defense this year when you look at everything coming back, when you look at the production coming back. Uh, you know, I'm looking at the state of the program. I wrote about them earlier, earlier this summer. 89% of their interceptions, 77% of their sacks, 75% of their tackles for loss. Uh, and even on offensive line, 80% of their offensive line, there's a lot of familiarity there. The, the thing that gives me pause with Pitt, and I can understand why you would want to pick them as high as second or third this year, because there's a lot of talent on that team, and they probably should have won 10 games last year. They lost a couple of games, uh, notably Miami and uh, Boston College in the last game of the year, um, at home to teams that finished with losing records, which should not happen. Um, they should have won 10 games last year. They have been schizophrenic, bipolar, whatever you want to call it, throughout 
Pat, every single season throughout Pat Narduzzi's tenure. Well, they beat um, UCF last year, right? They beat they last year? UCF, yes. Yeah. And then they lost to two teams at home who finished with losing records. 2016, they won at Clemson. They played right. Clemson this year. They're the last exactly. team to win at Clemson. They beat Penn State, who at one point I think got as high as number two, uh, maybe not number two. They were, I think they think they finished number five that year. They beat Penn State that year. They had the number ten offense in the country, and they went eight and five. They lost to Northwestern. They lost to uh, who? Uh, he looks up. They lost to teams that they shouldn't have lost to. Uh, and then, of course, the year they win the division, they go seven and seven. So, <laughs> tw- yeah, twenty eighteen, seven and seven. You win the division. You lose to those same Clemson and Penn State teams that you beat two years earlier. You lose them by a combined score of 93 to 16. <laughs> so they have just been all over the place. Uh, and that gives you pause. That's give you pause. I mean, you look at Pat Narduzzi, he's very rah-rah, and he's not your typical football coach in the sense that he doesn't abide by the every game's just as poor as the next one cliche. When they play Penn State... When they play a big game, he shuts down media access. He says, this isn't just another game. And you wonder, um, after five or six years uh, of watching that team perform, if that has an adverse effect on them because they're a very up-and-down team. And that makes them very, very hard to predict. So the talent is there to make me think they're capable of making a run this year, possibly to Charlotte for the ACC title game. Uh, but, but knowing what we know about the way this program operates, I think there's understandable pause. Um because that's just the way they've been. They, I mean, they're playing Notre Dame this year. Every Notre Dame fan will tell you Pitt will come out for that game and make that a four-quarter game and maybe even have a chance to win it because that's what they do. Uh, but they'll probably go and lose the next week to someone. Who are they playing next week? Uh, they have an open date, so they won't lose the next week. But they play Georgia Tech lose the open date. Three, three weeks after that. I mean, That would be quintessential Pitt to beat really Notre is. Dame and then come back and lose to Georgia Tech a couple weeks later. Well, And they close with... with um, with Clemson as well. So it's a tough schedule. And again, they'll get up for these games. But can you count on them to beat Syracuse and NC State at home? I mean, I could count on them playing good against Notre Dame and Clemson before I could count on them winning those two games that they probably should win. Yeah, Pitt is strange to me. I, I would feel better about Pitt if it had a running game that was similar to what it was a couple years ago. I mean, I saw them trample Virginia Tech. And when I it's like... 14 yards a carry. I mean, it was the most dominating offensive performance I've ever seen. I mean, they absolutely destroyed what was just a terrible Virginia Tech defense this year. Last year, that team didn't look anything like that. I mean, they were throwing at 40 sometimes a game. Like, that just doesn't seem, if you've got this tremendous defense, that doesn't seem like what you want to pair it with. Uh, so, so that maybe that's where I... It I might change this year, though, with that offensive line. I mean, I think there are, no, there are no excuses this year for them not to have a really good running game. I know they don't have a James Conner or a Quadri Olsen or a Deion Lewis back there, but uh, with that offensive line and, and those experienced players coming back on offense and that defense, as you said, you'd think they'd play complementary football a little bit better. I think there's no excuse not to this year. Quickly, before I let you go... Uh, I'll, I'll give you one of my teams. Anybody else from the rest of the league that we should keep an eye on uh, that should be good? I'll, I'll give mine right now. I, I think Virginia. Oh, I think a lot, of, <laughs> a lot mouth, of. Go ahead. I think a lot of people will write them off because Bryce Perkins is gone and he was so much of that offense. But that defense is legit, and they have everybody back. And Bronco Mendenhall knows how to coach. He knows how to build a program. And I, I just don't think they're going to fall back to the also-rans this year. I, I think they'll be middle of the pack of the ACC. I, I don't necessarily think they'll get up in that top tier again, but I, I just I don't see them falling back completely to what they were the previous years. 
I was going to say Virginia because I, I covered their Orange Bowl last year. The sense I got just from being around, you know, fans that week and talking to people in the area was we really don't know what we are. We hit the lottery with our quarterback. He was one of the best guys in program history. It's almost like we're starting from scratch again next year. We don't know if this is sustainable or not. So I'm very curious about Virginia from that standpoint. Uh, two teams I will keep an eye on, though, uh, closely. NC State. Um, I've always thought that NC State as a program uh, could end up mirroring Virginia Tech. I think when you look at that game day environment, it's very SEC-like. When you look at uh, that campus, that area, uh, it should be easy to recruit to. You, they, and frankly, they do. They have a lot of good players, and the NFL draft has bared that out the last few years. Uh, but they still haven't broken that 10-win plateau under Dave Doran, and they're coming off a very disappointing campaign last year, and they have a lot of new coaches on their staff this year. So I'm curious if last year was the beginning of the end for Dave Doran, or if that was, hey, it was a rebuilding year, we'll be back to normal this year, we'll win eight or nine games and and play Clemson's and Florida State's of the world tougher than we should. Uh, The other one uh, I'll be watching closely is Wake Forest. Um, They finished eight and five last year, but they had started, I think, seven and one, maybe six and one. I mean, they were a team that absolutely should have won 10 games last year. And Jamie Newman, who's now not even playing college football anymore, he opted out uh, to go for the draft after transferring to Georgia. Uh, His play really dipped last year, especially when they lost Chaz Surratt, who opted out this year as well. So, um, Sage Surratt. Sage, jeez. Oh, my God. Sorry. The season needs you're to get gonna, here. <laughs> you're gonna get the. You're gonna get both UNC and Wake Forest fans. I know. Fans I know. I'll have the family on me too. Um, the Dave Clawson is. I don't know why he doesn't get more buzz um, as far as coaches on the rise, or he should be looked at for this opening or that opening or another. Because when you look at where Wake was when he got there in 2014, when you look at where they are now. Uh, it's one of the best coaching jobs uh, in the country. I mean, you can argue that he's the second best coach in the ACC uh, behind Dabo Sweeney. Uh, we have them at 10th based on our collective votes in our ACC preseason poll. They have finished higher than their preseason ranking every single year in the last five years from the ACC. So I think there's a tendency for all of us to underestimate them, to think that they're going to uh, regress to the mean, if you will. And that just hasn't happened. They've gotten, for the most part, better and better every single year, 2018 notwithstanding. And I know there's cause but uh, cause for concern with Newman gone, but Sam Hartman was starting over Jamie Newman uh, before Jamie Newman took over for him being injured in 2018. Uh, and he's going to get an extra year now with the new NCAA uh, waiver rule. And he's played a lot of football under his belt. And he wasn't ready, frankly, as a true freshman in 2018. So I'm not worried at all about Wake from a quarterback standpoint. I think Sam Hartman's really good. I am worried about uh, how they replace Kay Carney and Sage Surratt, uh, along with some of the other skilled players on that offense. But uh, they've had a weird offense. You watch those mesh runs and the way they develop and the way they catch people off guard every year. I'm just not that worried. I'm more worried about can that defense do its part, if you will, because – when you talk about Louisville and North Carolina uh, just outscoring people, that was Wake Forest for much of last year, both in the non-conference and the conference portion of their schedule. So I don't know if they'll be able to do that to that extent this year without Kay Carney, without Sage Chirat, and they're going to need their defense to make some big plays at some point. And they haven't really shown to be capable of it, at least since 2017. So I think something needs to to improve there. But uh, I, I do wonder if the, the collective transfers and opt-outs catches up to a program like that 
or if they have built themselves so well uh, from an infrastructure standpoint that they can withstand that and they can still go out there, make a bowl, and win maybe eight games this year. All right, Matt Fortuna, thank you for coming on the pod and helping us kick this thing off. My pleasure, Andy. Looking forward to doing this, uh, to, to listening, to hopefully joining, and to uh, going all the way toward the December date you mentioned where maybe we have a Notre Dame in the ACC title game. But maybe we have an ACC title game, which on its own will be awesome. Uh, so we, we'll take it one day at a time, one game at a time, one pot at a time. Uh, but I am uh, I'm very excited for the season to finally be here. Matt mentioned taking things one game at a time. Well, our first game of the season is upon us tonight. UAB at Miami, the first ACC game of the year. Not a, not a pushover game here for Miami. I think UAB is a pretty difficult opponent, all things considered. You look at a lot of ACC teams, that they played a cupcake here to start off the season. Not necessarily so for the Hurricanes. To give us some insight here, we're joined by Manny Navarro, our University of Miami beat writer. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like I lost my mojo or avoid it altogether with excuses like I had a long day at work or sorry honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com Coastal and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com Coastal today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash Coastal. GetRoman.com slash Coastal. Uh, must be excited, Manny. How are you doing? How excited are you to cover a game this week? It's going to be so weird, man. Uh, really, uh, you know, Got got my ticket sent to me via email as far as parking and uh, got my credential mailed to me uh, last week. And I'm like, wow, this is really happening. I'm really going to be at a football game in the middle of a pandemic uh, with 13,000 fans. It's totally, uh, totally going to be weird, but uh, I'm excited. I'm ready for it. I've seen some of these other football games on TV, and I'm really interested to see how they handle it down here at Hard Rock Stadium. Some of these early games have been pretty bad. UAB, Miami could be interesting UAB is not a bad team like most of these early games have been you know once one team has been pretty bad I guess the the BYU Navy game kind of got out of hand there that was kind of surprising but uh, I have to credit Miami for keeping UAB on the schedule because this is not just a a pushover opener like this Uh, what is sort of your you know 10,000 foot view of this matchup and and how the Canes view the the Blazers here yeah, well, UAB's uh, played a game already, obviously. Um, they beat uh, Central Arkansas last week, uh, 45-35. And, uh, you know, they're a team that's won 28 games, I think, over the last three seasons, a few division titles in Conference USA. And, of course, Miami's lost. Uh, they lost two games last year to Conference USA teams, FIU and Louisiana Tech, uh, the, and the bowl game. And so this is sort of a good measuring stick uh, to see if Manny Diaz really has this thing going uh, in the right direction, considering, you know, the the way the season ended last year, you get a real opponent, a team that's that's competent, that that has some good players on defense. Uh, I know 
Uh, Central Arkansas scored 35 points, but 21 of those came off of turnovers. So Manny Diaz really felt like they should have won their their game last week by at least you know four or five touchdowns, and just didn't happen because they turned the ball over. Uh, the number one concern for Miami is tackling, and and that's what Manny Diaz talked about earlier this week. That you know when you play that first game, everybody's kind of sloppy in the early going and I think back to last year when when the Hurricanes opened with Florida and and how the Gators scored a couple of early touchdowns just some bad tackling on Miami's part so yeah I think it's going to be an interesting game the spread's 14 and a half points the Hurricanes are uh, you know they're implementing a new offense uh, with what Rhett Lashley has Derek King at quarterback and going to be running this up-tempo spread so there's going to be a lot of intrigue to this game for a lot of reasons. I wanted to ask you about that offense that's the huge question with Miami, uh, you know, they, they go in the bowl game, they, they get shut out in the bowl game, they fire the offensive coordinator. Uh, complete overhaul with the offensive side there. They bring in Rhett Lashley as offensive coordinator. They bring in De'Aaron King as quarterback. Of those two, which which is the bigger addition in your estimation? Wow, that's a good question. I, I, I guess I would have to say De'Aaron King because this offense wouldn't work if you still had Jaron Williams behind it. Uh, I just think... Uh, De'Aaron King, his mobility, the fact that he's coming off a season, you know, two years removed at Houston where he scored 50 touchdowns between 36 touchdown passes and, and 14 touchdown runs. He is the ideal candidate to to run this power spread offense that Rhett Lashley's calling. Um, they're going to run the football a ton. I think Miami's strength really is the, is the running backs. Uh, they've got two of the best freshmen in the country in the backfield and Don Chaney Jr. and Jalen Knighton, the rooster is his nickname. Uh, and then, of course, they've got Cam Harris, who was the backup to DJ Dallas a year ago and, and at times has shown flashes of his explosiveness. So I think they've got a, a pretty good three-headed backfield receiver is kind of the questionable position. So if De'Aaron King can make plays with his legs and help these receivers get better, um, and then this Miami office could be very successful. In the end, it's going to be Rhett Lashley, right? Two or three years from now, we may be saying that, assuming he's still here in two or three years. But uh, I think for now, in this season, the 2020 season, the fact that they've got Derek King to run it, I think that's a bigger deal. Lashley, to me, is a fascinating character in this whole thing. Uh, I was shocked when I was looking up some stuff on him last night. He's 37 years old. He feels Mm -hmm. like he's been coaching forever. I mean, when I covered Auburn, he was one of Gus Malzahn's little minions there on the staff as a GA and, and obviously came back eventually as the offensive coordinator. But it feels like he's had like a lifetime of coaching experience where like he was at Auburn, things kind of went sour. He left. Uh, I mean, I mean, originally they, they went to the national championship game right away. He, he left to go to UConn, uh, kind of uh, does well there, goes to SMU, really does well, and then gets this job. Uh, what what are people saying about Lash, Lashley down there? I mean, how excited are they about having somebody that's sort of, I don't want to say modernizing, but, you know, bringing the offense at Miami more in line with what a lot of people are doing in college football? Well, I think there's certainly a lot of excitement. Um, you know, that offensive coordinator job uh, last year with Dan Enos did, bringing in what essentially is a pro-style offense that they ran at Alabama was really too complicated for the players on Miami's roster. they A lot of these young guys, uh, you know, Mark Pope, D. Wiggins, they were getting lost in pass routes and, you know, uh, motion and, and all the different things that, that he was running. And really this offense is all predicated on one thing, and that's speed, playing fast, 
uh, sort of a limited sort of route tree where, hey, just get open. Derek King's going to find you the ball. It's kind of old school, like street football. And, you know, I think the way people look at Lashley is like, hey, this is finally the guy that's going to get us to where we need to go because Miami's continued to recruit well. They continue to have top 15, top 20 recruiting classes year in and year out. Guys are going to the NFL, and yet they're coming to Miami and doing nothing. Nobody's really uh, exploding except on the defensive side of the ball. That's where all their best players have been, at least, you know, earning all conference honors, etc. And, and Lashley's sort of viewed as this guy who's just going to finally get them on the right page. Uh, really smart, um, really relates well, I think, to the players as well. Uh, you know, Derek King lost his father in February. He flew out uh, to be there for the funeral with Derek um, and and with the family. And, and just, you know, he, he's very personable. All I hear are great comments from, from the players and how much they really like him. And I think, you know, that's an important part to all of this. Manny Diaz has talked about it since last year. Relationships matter. Uh, and I think he's realized that as a coach that, you could bring in a, a guy to, who can call plays and is really good at that, but if the players don't believe in him or they don't like him, you're going to have issues. And I think there were issues last year between Jaron Williams and Danny Enos and, and other guys on this offense. They just didn't like some of the coaches. Um, and, and so Manny went out. He hired a younger staff. He got himself a young offensive line coach in Garen Justice, who's also in his mid-30s, but well-liked and relates well to the kids. And so that, that, to me, is the biggest difference with this Miami football team. It's not just the X's and O's. It's the relationship between the coaches and the players. And I think there's a real difference in that. If you're switching offenses, this is probably not the year that you wanted to do it, the offseason with how abbreviated it was. I, I don't know how many. Did Miami get any spring practices in? They got four. Okay. And no, but no spring game, nothing nothing legitimate. They had one day of tackling. Okay. <laughs> so to have that, that limited installation period and, and getting used to the coaches and the new scheme and then everybody somewhere was kind of messed up how is is there a concern that it, it'll be difficult to get this thing up and running right away just because it's so new and guys are still learning stuff yeah i think Rhett lashley tried to warn us uh, on monday uh, in his zoom press conference like hey you know uh this is still the first game we still got some guys that are learning some things there will be growing pains and so I think he expects there to be mistakes. I mean, look, this offensive line last year gave up 51 sacks, the most uh, among Power 5 schools. They played a bunch of freshmen. Um, and they went out to address that by getting a, a transfer in Jared Williams from Houston, who's going to be your starting right tackle. John Campbell, who was the sixth man, is now going to be your starting left tackle. He was the sixth man a year ago. Um, gave up 16 quarterback pressures, uh, I think, in 195 uh, pass-blocking snaps. So he's he was susceptible to making mistakes. And I think Rhett is just sort of anticipating that, look, the offensive line, as much progress as they've made under Garen Justice, this is going to be the first time that, that all these guys are out there in new spots. The left guard, Usman Treyor, who, who was a, a Juco transfer Miami signed last year, couldn't play because of eligibility issues. Uh, he's he's a new starter. Um, you know, the, Zion Nelson and Ja'Kai Clark, the two freshmen who were sort of forced to play last year, they're backups now. But again, it's chemistry. It's it's building that chemistry. And and again, I mentioned the receivers earlier. I think that's another concern on, on Rhett's part. So yeah, I think there will be some growing pains here in the opener. And I think, uh, you know, Rhett Lashley is expecting it. And, and so Miami better come and play defense on Thursday because, you, you know, <laughs> you need both sides of the ball to work. It's not just, uh, hey, the offense comes and all of a sudden they solve all the, all the concerns. Well, let's talk about that defense. I mean, Rousseau opts out, and he's obviously 
a tremendous talent, uh, in mm-hmm. first round NFL guy for sure. Uh, you know, the defense loses Shaq Quarterman, uh, the, the other linebacker that's been there that they felt like they've been there for like 10 years. I swear I've been watching Shaq yes. Quarterman for 10 years <laughs> at Miami play. Uh, you know, you lose a couple linebackers like that. What is this defense going to look like? I mean, that was a pretty good, good group last year that was, you know, holding on for dear life with how bad the offense was. Uh, will the defense be as good this year? Or is that taking a step back at all? Well, this is going to be a real uh, way to, to, to see, you know, player development. Does Miami continue to put out quality defensive linemen? I mean, they've put a couple guys in the NFL. John Garvin was another guy who was a starter on this defense. He made the 53-man roster with the Green Bay Packers. Um, you know, Quincy uh, Roche, the transfer from Temple, I think is going to basically replace his role. And then uh, Jalen Phillips, who was the number one high school player in the country in 2017, he's sort of stepping into that. Uh, Gregory Rousseau role at defensive end and ultimately the defensive line is what's made this Miami team good um, the last couple of years on the defensive side of the ball you mentioned Shaq and Michael Pinckney um, you know Shaq's uh, backup with the Jacksonville Jaguars now Pinckney is out of football because he ended his career with an injury um, he's trying to catch on with an NFL team but those guys were solid college starters you know guys that were real contributors maybe not you know Ray Lewis and some of the other Miami greats on that level, but certainly guys who were solid. So you're right. Yeah, this this game Thursday will be a good sort of test, litmus test. Uh, you know, UAB runs the ball well. They've got, the uh, I think, the second leading uh, rusher in college football right now behind uh, Travis Etienne. Um, you know, big physical back in Spencer Brown, six foot, 220 pounds, and he ran for like 127 yards of the day. So they'll get tested right off the bat, um, you know. But I think the coaching staff really believes in, in, in the players they've got, that they've been developing here. Jalen Phillips, as I mentioned, was the number one high school recruit in the country. You listen to Todd Stroud, the defensive line coach, talk about him, and he's saying, you know, how he's he's in the 99th percentile of guys that he's coached in terms of athletic ability and everything. 6'5", 270 pounds, can do a standing backflip. So I think they feel like they're going to pick up where they left off last year, ranking as one of the best teams in the country against the run and, you know, tackles for loss, sacks, etc. But uh, we'll see. We'll see in this opener, um, you know, can they wrap up? Do, are there a bunch of missed tackles now that you've got, you know, Zach McLeod, who's the fifth-year senior, and, and a bunch of other guys who haven't played a ton uh, playing at linebacker. Those will all be questions, uh, you know, that we'll find answers to in uh, Thursday's game. I'll leave you with this last one. Miami, is it is it a contender in the ACC or not? I think so. I think, uh, look, again, uh, when, when you go through what the ACC has gone through the last few years, seven different Coastal Division champions in seven years, uh, it's sort of like, okay, who do you have at quarterback? That's the number one question. Do you have a guy that can get you there? Do you have a defense that's legitimate that can can at least put you in the ballpark to to uh, you know win nine, ten games? I think they've got all that now. Uh, the question is, will they show up and consistently play the way that they need to? And that's been the biggest issue for Miami since they've joined the ACC. It's you know they 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 have good teams they've got talent but when they show up on saturday there's always something that goes haywire i think as long as Derek king stays healthy and he stays upright i i believe in what manny diaz has done defensively the last four years i think he's got a track record for being a good defensive coach so i think the defense will be good good enough um but it's going to come down to that to that clemson game week four you know how 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 do they look against the Tigers, who are obviously the elite members of this class? And then, you know, teams like North Carolina, they got at home 
Um, they got Louisville on the road the second week of the season. Those are all going to be sort of the litmus test of where this program is really at. Last year they handled Louisville uh, here at home. Now they got to go on the road and play them the second week of the season. So um, it'll be uh, it's a, it's a challenging schedule from Miami's perspective, but certainly one that I look at and I say, really, Clemson is the only team on paper that is uh, better than better than the Hurricanes in terms of talent and, and what they've got at the quarterback position. So are you saying the U is back or the U is not back? We always have to clarify that every offseason, right? Yeah, I, I'm never going to say the U is back until they're really back. I think uh, everybody's gotten tired of that song and dance that the U is back. Let's see them actually do it on the field. Um, to me, the U is back when they do this three, four, five years in a row where they're winning the division or playing in major bowl games. They had one good year in the last 16 years where they started 10-0 and and then you know kind of fell apart at the end. I think... You will be back when they are winning 10-plus games three, four years in a row. That's when the U is back. Well, I'm required by podcast law to bring that up, so I thought I would do that. <laughs> uh, Manny Navarro, thank you for coming on. Uh, enjoy the game. It's going to be fun to actually cover a game, and uh, we appreciate your insight here. Thanks, Andy. Always great to talk to Manny Navarro bringing his perspective on the Miami Hurricanes here. He'll be a mainstay on Atlantic and Coastal, especially early in the season when you look at the the kind of schedule that Miami has early on. It's kind of ridiculous out of the gate. I mean, UAB, as I mentioned, no pushover, followed up with at Louisville versus Florida State, at Clemson versus Pittsburgh. That's all before October 17th. Now, we're assuming that the schedule goes off without a hitch there, but if that is played as scheduled, we're going to find out a lot about Miami in the season's first month here. Uh, And then, like we mentioned uh, in the interview before, uh, it's not going to be an easy transition, especially coming out of this offseason where you didn't have as much time as you would have in the past to install a brand-new offense. So uh, we're going to find out a lot about the Hurricanes in this first month of the season. It should be a very interesting thing to watch. One last thing before we go here. We're going to touch on a basketball story. I know this is a an ACC podcast. Basketball is very important uh, to the conference here, and I'm sure to a lot of listeners on this podcast. Today, the ACC coaches came out with their proposal uh, for the NCAA men's basketball tournament. Uh, and this is what it is. It was a little surprising. They all came out in uh, full force with this united front saying that they want all 346 Division I teams to make the NCAA tournament this year. Uh, Coach K was interviewed about it. He said, this is not a regular season. It's an irregular season. I do not disagree with that. It is going to be a very weird season. I just cannot quite understand the concept behind this 346-team tournament. Uh, I get, I get, I get the idea. It's, you, know, you want to reward the athletes and say everybody gets to to do this. It's going to be tough to do non-conference schedules. How can you tell how good these teams are if they're not playing out of conference and uh, able to do that? There's a lot of financial disparities between a lot of these schools. I think it's going to prevent a lot of these smaller schools from being able to go and test themselves uh, against other bigger schools. Uh, that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is. This is just going to be an unwieldy tournament field. Uh, 346 teams, I think it would expand it up to, you'd have to win eight games to get through it uh, if everybody played in the first round. Uh, you know, the, the ACC coaches did not come out and give a plan behind this necessarily. This is sort of their goal of what they want to get to. So it's I don't know if they're going to seed every team one to 346. 
Uh, you know, God help the number 346 seed as it takes on Duke in the first round. I don't know if that's a matchup that we all have to see. But uh, I just kind of wonder to what end they get this to. Uh, I'm looking at last year's standings. Kennesaw State went 0-16 in the Atlantic Sun, 1-28 overall, lost 20 straight games to finish the season. Is this a team that needs to be playing another postseason game uh, at the end of the season? I, I think maybe the thought behind the, behind this is that you know you have smaller pods that sort of whittle the field down before you get to a serious tournament. But if that's the case, how is it any different from what the conference tournaments already do in the regular season, or in a regular season, I should say, assuming that it's going to go off without a hitch this year? Uh, another thing to think about with this is you've seen some thoughts about a 64-team uh, tournament where the teams are in a bubble. I mean, the bubbles work so well for the NBA and the NHL. Perhaps a way, that's a way to do it uh, in college basketball as well. Well, you're going to add six times as many teams to this bubble. That is just sort of an unreasonable thought in my idea, in my mind, to try to make that work. So uh, I like the thought behind the idea. I'm a little skeptical that the idea can be pulled off. A good, good enthusiasm from the ACC coaches a good united front, but uh, I have some questions about how they're going to pull this off. Well, thanks so much for listening to the show. This is fun. We'll be back next week to recap the ACC's first weekend of action and pivot to week two. I'm Andy Bitter. You can follow me on Twitter at AndyBitterVT. This is Atlantic and Coastal. <laughs>